Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 93, a change of scenery for the papacy and the anachronistic emperor. Before we start, a shout out to listeners in Ecuador. I was taking a look at the Apple charts recently and noticed that A History of Italy is number 10 in society and culture in Ecuador. So thanks very much to all the lovely listeners in Ecuador for that. Now, all of the other South American countries, are you going to let Ecuador beat you like that? So please, hablan por favor con sus amigos de A History of Italy. Last time we saw Boniface VIII morally and politically battered and beaten by Philip IV of France. Boniface had managed to escape the clutches of the French king, escaping from his captivity in the town of Anagni, thanks to a rebellion by the townspeople. However, once back in Rome, the trials and tribulations and possible dissolute lifestyle had caught up with him, and he had died on the 11th of October, 1303. He was succeeded by Nicola Boccassini, who took the name of Benedict XI. You will remember that Boniface had fought a furious political battle with Philip, which included the Unam Sanctum Bull, declaring that all living beings were to be subject to the church, and he had also excommunicated the king. Benedict now totally ignored the bull and removed the excommunication. However, he wasn't a total softy, because he did excommunicate those who had been involved in the kidnapping and imprisonment of Boniface VIII in Anagni. He also tried to bring peace to the troubled city of Florence. You will remember that after the definitive defeat of the Ghibelline faction, in the Battle of Campaldino, the Guelphs in Florence had split into white Guelphs and black Guelphs, and the blacks had exiled the whites. This faction, the whites, also included the poet Dante Alighieri, and the blacks now ruled the roost in the city. Pope Benedict tried to get the whites allowed back into the city. The blacks were having none of this business, so they started up some hubbub in town. Benedict got really annoyed and excommunicated the whole city. He then convened the naughty leaders to come and explain themselves to him. In the end, they didn't have to, because he up and died in 1304. It's not really known if the leaders of the black faction had poisoned him, or he just died from an indigestion of figs. So, out of the picture goes the now-dead fig-loving Pope. Enter stage left, Raymond Bertrand de Gaulle, Archbishop of Bordeaux, a Frenchman. He took the name of Clement V, and as you may know, Clement V 
has a pretty bad rap in history, for it was he that kicked off what came to be known as the Avignon Papacy, or also the Captivity of Babylon. Perhaps one of the lowest points of the papacy in history. What's more, he is also the Pope who allowed the King of France to suppress the order of the Knights Templar, who were then massacred and their wealth and lands seized. Then, while Benedict XI had absolved Philip of France of his excommunication, but had excommunicated those responsible for the kidnapping of Pope Boniface VIII in Anagni, now Clement absolved them as well. However, it must be said that as soon as Clement was elected, it was very clear to him that he was a prisoner of the French king and the French cardinals and did not have much of a choice. Also, the excuse used to move the papacy, i.e. that Rome was not safe and subject to factional fighting, was not really that far from the truth. Avignon was a sort of compromise. It was seen as safer than Rome, but it wasn't actually in France at the time, but in the territory of our old friends, the Counts of Anjou, the very same family who ruled over the Kingdom of Naples, although it was still confusingly called the Kingdom of Sicily at the time. All of these folks, the Pope, the King of France, the Anjou, and later the real Sicilians, i.e. the ones in Sicily, would soon get caught up in the business of yet another emperor descending into Italy. Do you remember the good old centuries past, from the 9th through to the 13th, with Holy Roman Emperors waltzing in and out of Italy? Do you remember how many times I said the Emperor made his way down into Italy? Well, here we go again. Although this time, it will be a bit of a wimpy attempt, and it will all blow up in the poor, unsuspecting Emperor's face. We won't go too much in depth into the election of the first Holy Roman Emperor after the death of Frederick II, 58 years before, in 1250. Although we will mention that King Philip of France did have his brother Charles of Valois hanging around Paris and he had hoped to get him the job and get him out of his hair. In the end, the man who won out was Henry of Luxembourg, who, as Imperials Henry's went, became number seven. Philip IV of France and Pope Clement, for the moment, were happy to go along with it. So, in 1308, Henry of Luxembourg, technically a vassal of the French king, was crowned King of Germany. You will remember that there's a three-step checklist to becoming a Holy Roman Emperor. I'll bet you missed it. 1. Get crowned King of Germany. 2. Get crowned King of the Kingdom of Italy. 3. Get crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Just a reminder on step 2. The Kingdom of Italy supposedly was all of the northern part of Italy above the Papal States. Those of you who have been following the podcast will understand that, at the time we are speaking about now, the idea of an entity that could govern over all of northern Italy was laughable at best. 
never mind the fact that some emperors thought that their authority should extend to all of the peninsula. Before we follow Henry into his descent, we have to introduce a new character on the scene. Indeed, on the 5th of May 1309, King Charles II of Naples died, leaving the throne to his son, 32-year-old Robert. He was very wary of Henry's intentions, but kept quiet for now. So, Henry was finally ready to head down for the first of the two crownings, that of the King of the Kingdom of Italy. He had been a pretty good ruler in Luxembourg. How much more difficult could Italy be? From the very start, that difference and the difference with the past could not be more stark. The army, rather than being one of the formidable forces of the past that no single city could stand up to alone, was small and mostly ineffective. You could not even say that what Henry lacked in manpower he made up for in wealth, because a single Florentine banker would probably have been better off than this emperor, and that's not even one of the most wealthy Florentine bankers. Henry met initially with general enthusiasm, with a difference from the past emperors. In the past, whenever we spoke of an emperor being supported by this or that city, we would say Milan, Verona, Bologna, etc. However, now, it was true that Henry was supported by Milan, but this was because he was supported by the Visconti family. It was true that he was supported by Verona, but only because he was supported by the Della Scala, and so on. The Gonzaga for Mantua, the Este for Ferrara, the Polenta for Ravenna, and the Malatesta for Rimini. The communes had almost given way to the Signorie. It was now time for Henry to check off step two in the Become a Holy Roman Emperor. He would be crowned in Milan with the Iron Crown of the Lombards, the one that the Lombard Queen Theodolinda had tried to make a bit more presentable by encrusting it with jewels, and the one which was supposed, but probably didn't, contain a nail from the true cross of Jesus Christ. The one that nobody seemed to be able to find. A search was made high and low, but the precious artefact was nowhere to be seen. In the end, a much nicer, prettier crown was made, full of beauty, but devoid of any meaning or history. Not a good omen to start with. The real crown did pop up some years later. Apparently, it had been pawned off by the Milanese nobleman Guido della Torre to pay his debts. You can see the crown today at the cathedral in Monza, not too far from Milan. Speaking of the della Torre, you may remember that that was one of the Milanese family fighting it out for power in the city. The Visconti had more or less managed to seal the deal at the end of the previous century, but at this particular moment they were down on their luck and the della Torre had managed to kick them out. Henry now leaned on his supposedly superior position and tried to reconcile the situation by bringing the Visconti back, which 
instantly got around half of the city on his side and half against. Things, however, didn't stop at Milan. The domino effect of alliances meant that he now also had cities such as Cremona, Lodi, Pavia and Brescia against him. What's more, King Robert of Naples started manoeuvring against him and, worst of all, Florence, the real money behind the opposition, weighed in. Obviously, I'm simplifying things. It was not just the situation in Milan that precipitated events. This had been in motion even before Henry's descent, with forces worried that he would meddle in their interests. And indeed, he had let it be known that, although he would be lenient, he did expect the cities to submit to him and allow him to nominate his representatives in those cities. Anyway, poor old Henry must have been taken completely by surprise by the ferocity of the Italian taunting. Yet the brave lad soldiered on, getting bogged down in a siege of Brescia, but managing to quell the rebellion there, and then making his way to Genoa to seek to get to Rome by sea, since passage by land was now looking a bit more complicated than planned, since he was now opposed by Bologna and Florence, who controlled the passage down to Rome. He arrived in Genova with his alliance crumbling, and allies either switching sides or having to return to their lands to defend them. As if the situation wasn't bad enough, in Genoa he lost his wife, Marguerite, to an outbreak of cholera. Once again, you've got to hand it to the guy. He pushed on and sailed down to Pisa. There, he met a very enthusiastic Dante Alighieri, who saw him as the saviour of Italy, and in particular his own Florence. Along with Dante was a man known as Petracco, with his seven-year-old son Francesco. Francesco Petrarca. Ever heard of a Petrarchan sonnet? Well, it's this kid's fault. On plodded our Henry. We don't know if Dante's support gave him any kind of a boost, since what he really needed were a lot more men and a lot more cash. He finally, finally made it down to Rome, and even there the poor guy didn't have it easy, what with the Colonna controlling parts of the city and the troops of Robert of Anjou, others, or if you want to remember him better, Robert of Naples. Henry didn't even manage to get crowned by the Pope, who had not come, or more likely not been allowed to come, by King Philip of France. He did, however, manage to get the imperial crown in the end, which was put on his head by three cardinals, rather than the main man himself, on the 29th of June, 1312. Henry VII, Holy Roman Emperor, finally felt he was on top of the world. He was the big cheese. He had a rather romantic and certainly exaggerated view of the position he had just attained. Reality would come crashing down on him very, very quickly. He felt he had full legitimacy as emperor, and so he turned to Robert of Naples, his vassal, and demanded his submission. He was rather shocked, therefore, when King Robert laughed in his face and said, You must be kidding. Henry got annoyed and started to ready a fleet, but 
the Pope, Clement V, said no, and by Clement V said no, we mean Philip of France said no. Anyway, Henry was already getting involved in the whole Florentine question. He set off to lay siege to Florence with an army that was about half the size of the defenders of the city. That basically meant that all that he was able to do was give the Florentines the annoyance of having to close one gate. All of the others remained opened, as did all the commercial routes in and out of the city. Still Henry pressed on. He retreated to Pisa to await reinforcements. It seemed he intended to either assert his power or die trying in a glorious battle. He attained neither. On the 24th of September 1313, Henry died of a fever, possibly malaria or some sort of infection. His descent into Italy had been a large boulder tossed into already troubled waters. When things settled again, the Italians could go back to their more normal pastime, killing each other. The time of the Charlemagnes, of the Ottos, of the Henrys, the Conrads and the Fredericks playing a leading role in the Italian peninsula was almost over. As far as Henry is concerned, he didn't get the place he had desired in history, but he did manage to get a spot in Dante Alighieri's divine comedy in heaven, so not too shabby there. One effect that Henry's presence in Italy did have was to reignite another conflict that was boiling under the surface, that between the Kingdom of Naples and the Kingdom of Sicily, a conflict that would last for another 60 years. But we'll see about that next time. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters. Let me mention the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Anthony G, Selene, Chanel, David L, Dean V, Gordon Z, Greg, Ignacio, Jeffrey W, Old John in Milwaukee, Kevin, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Neville, Patricia Kappa, Peter W, Renee B, Roberta D, Rodney N, the Question Master, Rudy F, Scott L, Shelby, and Stephen, and the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level, Sen, Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon, and Maxine. Thank you, thank you, one and all. Thanks very much to new Patreon supporters, Alex and David. Welcome aboard, both of you. It is an honour to have you. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media. We are on Twitter and on Facebook. Also, you can look at timelines, maps, and other tools to help you navigate our country's complicated history, as well as clicking through to our Patreon support page. There's a new episode of News Cappuccino out, and soon coming a new episode of In the Time It Takes, so get over there, and of course you can support via PayPal if you are so inclined. Once again, thanks very much to everyone for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. 
Your Majesty, here's where we are staying. Here? Is this the best you could do? I am king after all. Well, this is all Your Majesty could afford. For now, obviously. We did spend a bit in preparation and paying off various Italian cities and nobles. Of course, once you are emperor, gold will flow into your hands. Yes, yes, quite right, of course, yes. Um, so, how much money have we got left? Florins, you mean, sir? Uh, yes, how many florins? Five, sir. Five thousand? Oh, that's not a lot. No, sir, just five. One, two, three, four, five. We had to pay a Henry tax to get into Milan. A Henry tax? Yes, they say it's a special tax for people called Henry. Ah, well, that was unfortunate. Uh, did you tell them I was king? Yes, sir. They said that then I was too extra flowing. Ah, well, they told me when I was king that I could collect taxes. Yes, well, apparently they do things different down here. Oh, well, uh, I suppose when in Rome, if we ever get there. Uh, what else have we got in the royal coffers? Well, some supplies and a large cart full of turnips. Turnips? Yes, sir, turnips. Well, well, that's not much good. I mean, what use is a cart full of turnips? Well, a Venetian merchant said they were like gold here. It seems that there's a group of people who actually worshipped them. Well, sounds very fishy to me, people worshipping turnips. Never mind. Are the men fed and set down for the night? Yes, sir, all seven of them. Good, good, yeah, good to keep the army happy. Tomorrow's a big day, what with all the crowning ceremony and all that. Ah, yes, about that. W what about it? Well, they can't seem to find the iron cow. Can't find the... the cra... what? Yes, well, they said that the rusty old thing wasn't fit for a future empire anyway, so they had an, a new one made. Ah, great. What loyal, thoughtful future subjects. Yes, they say they'll only charge you a thousand florins for it. Uh, I mean, what? Uh, will they take turnips, do you think? Sentira Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. 
With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.